Good morning. Thank you all for being here. Pardon me while I rotate here. It's um, it's always nice uh, when your boss uh, walks in and he's like, "Hey, look! I found the schedule for the Heroes of Faith. Look who's on February second! It's you!" It was great. Oh, and that was Tuesday. <laughs> Well, don't tell anybody that. Okay, so, as he said, we're talking about William Tyndale. Um, and um, I'm, I'm grateful to be standing up here. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be able to uh, stand before you and to talk about um, a man of the faith. And I hope that I would do his life justice. Um, and I would also hope that we would not get focused too much on... Billy Tyndale. Let's not think too much about the man. Let's see what God did through him. Let's see the other men and the other circumstances that were brought um, to allow Tyndale to do what he did. So let's look at a short list here. The salt of the earth, let there be light, filthy lucre, seek and you shall find, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. My brother's keeper... It came to pass. Now, what would these phrases all have in common? Okay, yes, they came from the Bible. But what would these, does anybody know what these phrases would have in common besides they're from the Bible? Any guesses? And these is not the only phrases that are part of what I'm trying to refer to. These phrases are English phrases that William Tyndale coined to better interpret scripture, to better apply them to the original manuscripts. So these are still in our Bible today, and there are, I'm going to go through another list a, a little bit later, but his knowledge of the English language allowed him to come up with common vernacular that was still accurate to the original translations, uh, to the original Greek and Hebrew, um, and it's stood for hundreds of years. Um, I was reading of one phrase that, uh, where it talks about uh, Jesus wept, or, or uh, in the New Testament, it talks about someone weeping bitterly. And they say in 500 years, nobody's come up with a better way to say that. And William Tyndale has come up with all these wonderful phrases. He even came up with the words Jehovah, Passover, Atonement, Scapegoat, mercy seat, and showbread. And there's even more words that he created in English that would refer more directly to the original manuscript. So we, have, we owe a lot to this man, and he played a very unique role in turning the tide of Catholicism uh, with nation. And his, his dream, his calling in life, he felt, was to set people free by giving them God's word the corruption of the Catholic Church was such that you couldn't speak out against them because you didn't have God's word in front of you to be able to show them where they were wrong. And so William Tyndale gave the English people uh, the tool that they needed to really light the fires of the Reformation in England. William Tyndale, brother, nice portrait of him there. 
He was known as the Prince of Translators, God's Outlaw. Um, I think uh, it was Stephen Lawson that called him the Prince of Translators. And he was known as God's Outlaw because he was kind of on the run, basically, for ever since he, uh, when he left England until the end of his life, which was about 12 years, he was pretty much on the run. He was always dodging uh, people that were trying to capture him. Um, and he was also known as the father of modern English. And many believe that he contributed more to the development of the English language than Shakespeare did. Um, and I, I just put these up here so that we kind of be thinking about who he was um, and what God did through him. Um, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper uh, into, uh, into each of those areas. But um, I also want to close up uh, at the end of uh, our talk with some practical ways that we can apply um, the things that were exemplified in his life. So, if you would turn to Jeremiah 31, 30, uh, verse 33, uh, and it's going to be up here on screen, but I think this would be the scripture that best describes uh, Tyndale's desire uh, to see God's word uh, accessible to anyone and to everyone. So, Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. The problem with the Catholic Church in Tyndale's day was that they wanted you to believe in the church not so much in God, and we're going to see more of that. This is how Tyndale uh, spoke of, um, this is a quote from Tyndale, talking about how he wanted people to see Scripture uh, instead of uh, the Pope. I perceived how it was impossible to establish the lay people in any truth except that the Scripture were laid, plainly laid before their eyes in their mother tongue. At that time, you couldn't get a Bible. You could not get it in English. You couldn't get it in Latin. The only people that had access to any sort of biblical manuscripts were persons of learning and of the church. And they did not have any translations except Wycliffe's 130-year-old translation from the Latin into English. And these were handwritten, and they were very in very short supply. You couldn't just walk into a church and find a Bible. And you certainly didn't have something that you could keep in your pocket. And it was illegal to have these things, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, you weren't even allowed to speak and discuss Scripture uh, with anyone else. Um, there was rank corruption and sin. Am I cutting out? Oh, dear. I did that once before. I'd rather not have it happen again. All right, let's see. Can you hear me now? Okay. Um, so, there was sin in the church. The, uh, the Catholic Church wanted you to believe in them, not in God's word. And there was no way to fight against that because they did not have access to pure scripture. Uh, and they had, there were laws that the church came up with 
that were just arbitrary laws, and there was no way for the common people to know, people like us, whether or not it was true. Because the priest would just say, oh, this is God's word, um, and, and we're going to see more, more of that again. Um, the church was full of corruption, and Tyndale wanted the common people to be able to have access to God's word, to be able to impact uh, their lives directly without going through the filter of the church. So who was William Tyndale? Um, he was born near Gloucestershire, and that is the correct pronunciation. Um, we are not too sure, historians are not too sure, but we believe that it was in 1494. Um, they say it could have been a year before or a year after, but um, we really don't know too much about his life. Um, there was really no record kept until he got to college, and we don't even know too much about that. Um, we do know a little bit about the area that he grew up in. Um, there was a lot of industry related to cloth because of the wool of the special Cotswold sheep that were there in Gloucestershire, um, and they were known for that quality wool, uh, and that accounted for about 50% of the industry. Uh, and because of that, there was a lot of tradespeople that came in, uh, different languages that he was hearing, and also because they were on the border uh, there, um, he got exposed to all these different languages, and we're going to see how that's going to uh, impact his life uh, in being able to prepare for uh, translation. Um, he began uh, attending the Magdalen Prep School in 1506, and this was kind of the, uh, the grammar school that you went to before you went to college, um, and it was attached to the college. We again, we just don't know that much about his years at school um, besides... Uh, he did graduate in 1515 uh, from Magdalen College uh, with a bachelor's degree and a, ma a master's degree. And the bachelor's degree was in arts. And I believe that he had to have that before he could study theology, which he did later at Cambridge. Uh, he was ordained into the priesthood uh, in London. Um, and this was... A little bit later, uh, and I don't know too much about this from what I could uh, research, but I believe this was before his kind of awakening to true Christianity when he got to Cambridge. Uh, he had been ordained as a subdeacon by the Bishop of Hereford, and then in London as a deacon and as a priest. And this was just kind of the natural progression. Uh, so he was part of the church, and uh, actually that helped him when he started translating. It gave him access to materials that he would not have had access to uh, otherwise. He was fluent in seven languages. He was fluent in seven languages. And as we'll see later, he gained Hebrew in addition to the languages uh, that he learned here. English, German, French, Spanish, Latin, Italian, and Greek. Uh, and again, uh, he acquired Hebrew after he got out of college. Um, and from what I was reading, he was fluent as a native in every single one of these languages. And this allowed him to read the original Greek manuscripts, the original, some of the Latin manuscripts, uh, the Latin Vulgate, um, and uh, to read Luther's writings. Uh, it gave him uh, the ability to merge this language. Um, and then it also uh, kind of gave him a secret cover when he was in, when he went from England to the continent, to Europe, and they were trying to track him down. Uh, he would be in a crowded marketplace and people would be looking for an English-speaking Englishman. But he was a French-speaking Englishman or he was a German-speaking Englishman. And it helped him uh, escape uh, the people who were coming after him. 
Um, in in 1521, um, he left uh, Cambridge, and he got a degree at Cambridge, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but he returned to uh, a place that was close to home called Little Sodbury, and he started tutoring uh, the family of Sir John Walsh, and he lived at their home uh, and participated in their family life. Um, and during this time, he walked 30 miles he would do this fairly regularly, from what I could tell. He would walk the 30 miles to Bristol, and he would open-air preach, and he was preaching the true gospel. And that's part of what eventually got him into trouble, as he was preaching to the common people, um, and he was preaching the true gospel. Um, and another opportunity that he got when he was at the home of Sir John Walsh was the opportunity to debate with guests. And it was... Um, tradesmen and traveling friars and traveling priests and it uh, got him into trouble sometimes and he got into some pretty heated arguments but from what I read he won basically every argument because he would always open scripture and debate from God's word and they never could come back on him and uh, I think it gave him time to kind of um, mull over all these things in his mind and as he was debating with people it strengthened his faith and I want to show a clip here uh, this is from the 1986 film um, God's Outlaw and um, this is uh, part of a conversation uh, that he had with one of the guests as, as it's been recorded uh, in history um, and if you'll listen carefully towards the end you'll hear some famous words from Tyndale and that young Tyndale is what the spirit does through the church. But the church has so many persuasions. One man follows Don Scotius, another Thomas Aquinas, another Bonadventure. If all these learned men are in contradiction one with each other, how can we know right from wrong but by God's word? God's word says, if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. Give the scriptures to ignorant men and they'll soon be tearing out their own eyes. Hither and yon will be a nation of blind men. Without God's word, we are a nation of blind men. But without the help of doctors, God's word is too hard to understand. And that is to measure the yardstick by the cloth. There are as many doctors as there are pieces of cloth, but only one yardstick of scripture. By what should we measure that? By the Pope. The Pope whom God has set on earth in direct succession from the Apostle Peter. The Pope through whom God administers truth and justice. The Pope! The Pope! And what if the Pope is at variance with God's laws? Then it were better to do without God's laws than the Pope's. Well, young sir, what do you say to that? I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spares my life, I will see to it that a ploughboy shall know more of the scriptures than you do. Pretty strong words for a man sitting across from a priest. But you see what the mentality of the church was. The Pope was God, essentially. And in many ways, they thought he was better than God. That was the, that was the going thing. Oh, we refer to the Pope instead of God. And it's, it's terrifying to think about the effect that that had on the common people. Um, and I want to do a, a little bit here more on the state of the church because I want us to understand what Tyndale was going up against. This was not fun. It was not easy. 
anything that you said against the church was essentially punishable by death, and it was not a fun death. So what Tyndale did, what all the reformers did, was extremely courageous, uh, and they did it by God's strength and not their own. This is another clip from the beginning of the film, um, and this is also um, recorded in history. Fear the God's wrath, my little one. So speak. Our Father. Yes. There's more. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. We all Enough! I most solemnly forbid you, child, ever again to speak the creed, the Lord's Prayer, or the Ten Commandments in English. We need hear no more. The men will burn. But of our great compassion and mercy... The widow will be spared to provide for this brood after we have taught them afresh the godly ways of the church. See, she is safe home, Martin. Take the rest away. She knew the Lord's Prayer in English. That was pretty awful. She knew the Lord's Prayer in English. That is an actual incident from history. And that's what they were facing, is you could not know Scripture in any form except what you heard from the priest. And you weren't allowed to have a piece of paper or there wasn't a Bible that you could have. You weren't allowed to talk about it. This is God's Word we're talking about. And it was shuttered and it was cloistered only to those, only available to those of the church. So what was the state of the church or the church of the state? The Catholic Church was the church in England. Um, this was before Henry VIII, you know, booted the Catholic Church because he didn't like them and started the Church of England. So essentially, the Catholic Church was the church. Um, this was, uh, and the state of the church was terrible. Uh, there was rank corruption, uh, immorality, greed, and just general evil that permeated the ranks. Um, Pope Alexander VI was living uh, a life of gross greed and immorality. Um, there was a man, an Italian reformer, named Girolamo Savonarola, and y'all have probably heard of him, but he was speaking out in the 1490s uh, against the uh, rottenness of the church and against the papacy, and he was burned at the stake. Um, and this was the pope uh, that was in power at the time of Tyndale's birth. Um, so you can see, uh, again, uh, the head of the church 
this man was a gross sinner and living in unrepentance. Um, he was pursuing multiple women. He had multiple children outside of wedlock, never married any of these women. Um, pretty rotten stuff. And this was the head of the church. Um, the only way to heaven in the eyes of the Catholic Church was through the Catholic Church and through the figure of the Pope. The Pope was infallible. Um, you had to pay up your tithes. You had to pay for weddings. You had to pay for funerals. Um, you were able to buy indulgences if you wanted to do a little sinning and not, not pay for it. Um, essentially, an indulgence was a certificate that they gave you that you paid a sum of money for and if you had sinned or if you were going to sin, it would cover you and it would be your ticket into heaven. So they made a lot of money uh, through indulgences. They also made a lot of money through charging fees to look at holy relics. Uh, strange pieces of weirdness such as 34 pieces of the cross, so-called. Or the skeleton of a baby that Herod had killed during the slaughter of the children uh, in Bethlehem. Just ridiculous stuff, and they charged people to look at these things. And in fact, the members of the priesthood uh, oftentimes were required to go look at these relics and pay homage to them. John 14.6 says, Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Pope has nothing to do with you getting into heaven. It is a personal relationship between you and Jesus Christ, and that's all there is to it. But as we see, the majority of the people were hearing a heretic gospel from the church. Again, it was forbidden of the common people on penalty of death to possess, discuss, or read the Bible in English, if you could get your hands on it. Again, remember, the only thing that was available in English was John Wycliffe's Latin uh, Vulgate translation into English. And the Latin Vulgate was not that great, but it had been around for a long time, and Wycliffe was the only man that had done any work to translate into English. And I want to read from the 1408 Bishop's Convocation at Oxford. And this is what they put down as law from the Catholic Church. The Holy Scripture is not to be translated into the vulgar tongue, nor a translation to be expounded until it has been duly examined under pain of excommunication and the stigma of heresy. We therefore enact and ordain that no one henceforth on his own authority translate any text of Holy Scripture into the English or other language by way of a book, pamphlet, tract, and that no book, pamphlet, or tract of this kind be read. Latin was the language of the church and of the law. And the common people, people like you and me, I, I hate saying common people, but that's the term that I'm trying to use to differentiate between the priesthood and royalty and people like us, just normal people. Um, women, except noble women and gentle women, uh, artisans, husbandmen, laborers, or servants uh, were forbidden to read the New Testament or to discuss it in public. The priesthood was even against the printing press because the printing press allowed you to distribute and manufacture materials on a large scale. So if somebody got some heretical material, they could distribute it widely. So the priesthood was not very much in favor of the um, 
of the printing press because of its ability to widely disseminate materials. And there we have the seven parents burned at the stake uh, for teaching their children the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed in English. And another incident that took place just a few months later was that a boy of nine years old was burned alive at the stake because he had a scrap of paper with the Lord's Prayer on it written in English. A scrap of paper. We have whole Bibles throughout our homes. What are we doing with them? Are we using them? Are we grateful for them? Are we meditating? Are we memorizing? And I speak to myself as well. So, I hope you've gotten a little bit of the picture. Uh, It's probably incomplete. I can't really talk to the state of uh, general life, and we don't have time to get into that uh, in England, but knowing the state of the church... Uh, and understanding what Tyndale was going up against and other men, um, you know, John Frith and, and others that were burned as well. Um, this was a, an age of fear, of superstition, of terror, and the heresy was coming from the church. So here we get into a little bit of um, the things that God put into place so Tyndale could do what he did. Uh, in 1516... Uh, Erasmus, uh, Desiderus Erasmus, don't name your child Desiderus, Um, he was a Catholic priest who was kind of in the middle of the road. Uh, He saw the corruption and rottenness of the papacy, but he wasn't uh, apparently convicted enough to stand against it. So he stayed in the church, he remained in the church, but he did do some good. He uh, translated, uh, he made available the Greek and Latin manuscripts of the New Testament. And this is what Tyndale used uh, to do his first translation, which was the New Testament. This was available, again, to Tyndale because he was a priest. And again, John Wycliffe, we had his translations, which weren't that good from what I understand, uh, but he did have those to refer to. And then we have the invention of the Gutenberg Press. This was a huge thing. Uh, This was invented in 1455. This was about, again, about 40, uh, 50 years before uh, Tyndale was born. And by the time Tyndale came into his own, it was widespread. There were well over 250 of these presses around Europe that uh, he would have had access to, um, and he was able to use these to great effect. And the Bible would not have been made available without the Gutenberg Press. So God was working, God was preparing all these steps for Tyndale to be able to do what he did. Um, And again, he went to Cambridge, and we don't, again, know too much about his time there, but he did get a degree, from what I understand, and he was very much influenced by the writings of Martin Luther, and he uh, joined the group at the White Horse Inn. And these were men of the college um, that were men like uh, Nicholas Ridley and John Frith and Hugh Latimer, And uh, all three of those men, I believe, were burned at the stake uh, for their beliefs. But this was before the fires kind of caught hold in England for the Reformation. And they were discussing Luther's teachings and writings and talking about it. And there were so many of them, they became known as Little Germany when they were meeting uh, there at the White Horse Inn. So um, his discussions there, I'm sure, had a lot to do uh, with his Reformed thinking. And I think uh, another significant thing uh, in what he did was 
the protection and financial support from men like Thomas Points uh, and many others. Uh, another a man's name was Humphrey Monmouth. And God raised up these men. These were, men, these were tradesmen. These were men of uh, standing in, uh, in Europe in the communities that he visited. And they offered him protection. They have offered him financial support. And it was the only way that he was able to do the translating that he did because he had kind of this safe place uh, to work from. So we see by all these things, this was no accident uh, that Tyndale was able to do the work that he did. And remember, all these languages that he had from his studies at college. So, um, and, and I want to talk more to that, uh, being prepared for what God has you doing. So, oh, I forgot about this. This is Tyndale talking about literally interpreting scripture. Uh, there was... Um, a school of thought that the priests only knew how to really interpret scripture and you had to talk a lot about it even if it was straight from uh, God's word um, and you know it was confusing to people uh, but Tyndale wanted to give us the ability to just look at God's word just how it is so I want to read this quote I'm going to put it up on screen the scripture hath but one sense which is the literal sense and that literal sense is the root and ground of all, and the anchor that never faileth. Whereunto, if thou cleave, thou canst never err or go out of the way. The scripture indeed useth proverbs, similitudes, riddles, and allegories, as all other speeches do. But that which the proverb, similitude, riddle, or allegory signifieth is ever the literal sense which thou must seek out diligently. But they couldn't seek it out diligently unless they had the straight word of God, which was not available for them to access. So this was Tyndale's hope. This was his wish, was that people would have God's word, to be able to seek it for themselves and not hear it from some dude in a funny hat. So what did Tyndale accomplish? I think the first thing that kind of rattled people um, is the book... The Obedience of the Christian Man. And the main thing that Tyndale spoke to in this book was having one kingdom, God's kingdom, instead of having the kingdom of the church and then God's kingdom. He wanted them to be one in the same. And he wanted, and he wanted the other thing that he talked about in the book is he wanted men to cling to Scripture as their sole authority. Um, and this book caused waves. This came out before he started translating, and it was burning people's ears. Um, but, amazingly, uh, Henry VIII um, somehow got a hold of a copy, and he thought it was great because uh, Tyndale was talking about how we should obey monarchs and that sort of thing. But um, Henry had some bad ideas. Um, so the obedience of the Christian man, uh, I think, was a, um, uh, a work that God uh, gave him, uh, and it had a lot of impact. And I would encourage you to read it today. So... He translated Erasmus's Greek manuscripts of the New Testament into English. This was the first work that he did, and he printed um, about 6,000 of them. This was his first work of translation. Wouldn't have been able to do this without uh, the Greek and Latin manuscripts from Erasmus. Um, but the church found out about them, and they wanted to buy them all up, to burn them. Um, 
So he was like, okay, that's kind of cool because I can use that money to make a better translation and we'll print it again. And that's exactly what he did. He used the money that the church paid to buy these Bibles to be able to print another better revision of the New Testament. Um, And uh, a side note, um, how do you think they found out about the printing of these Bibles? Well, there was a man that was working at the print shop and he went out for a night on the town and he got a little boozed up, and he started talking. Remember how Proverbs talks about being drunk. And then he translated the Pentateuch. Um, and this is one of my favorite stories about him, but he translated the Pentateuch twice. He did it from Hebrew. The first time, um, he, was, he went from Marburg to Antwerp, um, and... In Antwerp, it, uh, he had sympathetic people around him. He had a direct supply route to England. Um, and he completed the translation uh, of the first five books, but he felt it was too dangerous to hang around. Um, and so he boarded a ship to go to Germany and then to Hamburg. Um, but the ship got wrecked off the coast of Holland, and he lost everything. He had all these manuscripts with him, and he lost everything. But he started over. It took him nine months, and he started over and did it. And I'm sure that it was better the second time around. But this was a man that was dedicated to the task that God had given him. And I think we can take uh, a lot of uh, examples uh, from his life. And I want to talk about his perseverance a little later. And then he translated Joshua through Nehemiah. And now don't think that the man, you know, fell short by not translating the entire Old Testament. He translated it. He had translated the New Testament already. But by the time he got to Nehemiah, he got captured, and he had already done his work uh, for the book of Jonah, and he actually wrote a commentary on the book of Jonah, but uh, he just didn't have time to finish uh, his translation uh, of, uh, of the Old Testament. Um, and his friend, Miles Coverdale, that we'll talk about uh, at the end, um, finished translating the rest of the Old Testament, uh, and Miles even translated some of the Apocrypha. I'm not sure why, um, but uh, he did do Joshua through Nehemiah. So he did the entire New Testament. He did uh, the Pentateuch, so essentially Genesis through the book of Nehemiah and the book of Jonah. And again, he coined all these phrases and words that helped more accurately. Uh, Here's some more of these. Ask and it shall be given you. Judge not that you be not judged. Uh, The powers that be, the salt of the earth, uh, gave up the ghost, uh, the signs of the times. Um, one of Tyndale's biographers, David Danielle, says it this way, the list of such near proverbial phrases is endless. God gave him an ability to be able to take these original manuscripts and put them into English into such a way that you and I could read them. And I want to read just a little bit of Genesis 1, and this is the what is known as the Thomas, the Thomas Matthew Bible. That's what they had to print it under after uh, he was dead, after Tyndale died, um, so that they, people wouldn't know that it was Tyndale's Bible. So this is Genesis 1, 1 through 5, and you'll see, you can see that the words have some strange spellings and that sort of thing, but just listen as I read, and you'll see that, it is, that it's beautiful. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. The earth was void and empty, and darkness was, on, was upon the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the water. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. 
and God saw the light that it was good and he divided and divided the light from the darkness and called the light day and the darkness night and so all of the eve and so of the evening and morning was made the first day that doesn't really sound very much different from what we have today does it and the the, uh, the old english spelling looks funny but god gave tendale an ability to bring his words to life in such a way that it gave access to the common people. So he did an amazing work. He really did. And this was the first attempt that anyone had made at seriously translating God's word into English. And it meant a lot because now we have uh, English as one of the major languages in the world today. So what can we learn from Tyndale? I want to close with some things that I think that we can take from his life, that we can apply to ours. Um, Sola Scriptura. Yes, it's German, but we like Luther. Uh, Tyndale had been around the Catholic Church long enough um, that he saw that the so-called Christian living of the day was not really Christian living. It was just going by the church's laws. Uh, There was no growth of soul. Um, And this is Tyndale talking about having scripture and not actually applying it to one's life, essentially what the priests were doing. Though a man had a precious jewel and a rich, yet if he wist not the value thereof, nor wherefore it served, he were neither the better nor richer by a straw. Even so, though we read the scripture and babble of it ever so much, yet if we know not the use of it and wherefore it was given, and what is therein to be sought, it profiteth us nothing at all. So here we had the Catholic Church that had access to God's word, and they were misusing it, they were abusing it, and they were wielding an ungodly power over people because they were not applying it to their lives. And again, Tyndale wanted you and I to be able to see God's word and put it into our lives directly. And I wanted to read James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is what God wants us to do. We have access to God's word. We need to apply it into our lives. We can't just read it and say that it's good. We need to be doers of the word. Tyndall saw that God's word was life-changing, and he wanted to give that to the people of England. Think about your life. Think about my life. Are we applying God's word how we should? Are we letting it, are we letting it change us? And I think something else that Tyndale saw was... As, we, as he talked about in his book, The Obedience of the Christian Man, don't obey man. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And again, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. We are here to use God's word to better ourselves, to better others, and not to please man. And as Peter put it in Acts 5, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather 
than man. So I want to close up with just a little bit about Tyndale's death. Uh, I didn't want to focus too much on this. Um, Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I want to talk about one other thing. You remember that he lost those manuscripts. I would have been pretty bummed about losing those manuscripts. I would have been like, God, do you want me to keep doing this? I just spent however long. It probably took him a year. It took him nine months to retranslate. But it probably took him a year to do this. God, you just took everything away from me that I just did. But he believed that God had him do that for a purpose. And I think Paul speaks to it well. And let us not be weary in, in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That's Galatians 6, 9. Was that work that Tyndale did a good work? Yes, it was. So he just decided to keep on doing that good work that God had called him to. And there's many other passages that talk to perseverance. And I think that's one of the lessons that we can take from Tyndale is his perseverance. I also think we would have the tendency as people to look at Tyndale's life. Wow, he did some awesome stuff. The man was cool. Yes, he did do some awesome things for God's kingdom. And God prepared him for that work. He brought people alongside him to help him. Let's not get caught up in thinking that the only way we can serve God is through something big and cool and awesome. If you're a mom at home changing diapers and wiping noses and washing dishes, that is what God has called you to do. God has put you in charge of little souls. If you've got a job that you don't think is fun and it's kind of boring and it doesn't pay all that much, do your job as unto God. If you're a young man or a young lady and he or she ain't come yet, she or he will come if God wants you to be married. Don't waste your single life. You can do things with your single life that you cannot do otherwise. And Jesus talks to this in Luke 16, verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Are we complaining? Are we grumbling? Are we wondering why God has us where we are? Are we not being faithful in maybe the so-called little things that God wants us to do? Be faithful in little and God might bring you something big. But even if he doesn't, you're still doing what God wants you to do. There's plenty of his revealed will in scripture. Don't forget about doing his revealed will. And so closing up with uh, Tyndale's death, he was executed uh, on October 6th, 1536. And yes, he was strangled and burned, but it was rather a mercy because he was dead before he was burned. That was a privilege that they gave him because he was a member of the priesthood. And we're going to read uh, a letter that some of you have probably heard. And this was um, a letter to his jailer, and he was talking about the conditions that he was undergoing uh, in the 18 months that he spent in jail before his execution. I suffer greatly from cold in the head and am afflicted by a perpetual catarrh, which is much increased in this cell. My overcoat is worn out, my shirts are also worn out, and I ask to be allowed to have a lamp in the evening. Indeed, it is wearisome sitting alone in the dark. 
But most of all, I beg and beseech your clemency to be urgent with the commissary that he will kindly permit me to have my Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary, that I may pass the time in that study. This man was dying a slow death in a cold cell, and all he really wanted was to have God's word to study it some more. I won't talk too much more about his death. Uh, I think we can look more to his legacy and to his life, Um, but he did plead with God to open the king of England's eyes, and we can see by the record of history that God did do that. His Old uh, Testament translation had to wait till 1535 to be published in the Coverdale Bible, and that was an illegal um, printing, um, according to uh, the monarchy. But in 1539, uh, his friend Miles Coverdale was able to get the uh, express consent and financial support of Henry VIII to print what they call the Great Bible. And his legacy continues um, because of the work that Tyndale did, and he contributed also to the authorized King James Bible. The New Testament in the King James Bible is about 81% Tyndale. Um, And again, God answered his prayer to open the King of England's eyes. I want to close with this, and then I'll pray. William Tyndale established no church, founded no school, established no distinctive theological tradition. He gave his life to just one thing, the translation of the Holy Scriptures into his native English tongue. And by God's grace, he did it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the life of this great man. And Lord, we acknowledge that he would not have been great without your blessing upon his life without your strength. And Lord, we thank you for examples of men like this, brave men, strong men, that may not have been physically powerful or great orators. But Lord, this man did a great work. He prepared himself well. He did not know necessarily the vision that you had for his life until later, but he studied hard. He studied your word. He was diligent, and Lord, he persevered. Lord, may we take these lessons into our own lives. And Lord, I do pray that for those of us who are struggling, wondering if God has us in a small place, or if this is the job that you want us to have, Lord, it is the job you want us to have. It is the place in life where you want us to be. But Lord, you want us to be doing your will, and to be loving you, and doing what you command. And then you will bring blessing. And Lord, we don't do it for the blessing. We do it because we love you. Lord, I pray for the services today. I pray that you would be with Mr. Renfro as he brings the message. And Lord, I pray that your will would be done in our lives today. Lord, I thank you for those that are here, for protecting them as they traveled. Lord, I pray for those that are not with us. Lord, we are grateful for Scripture. Lord, may we treasure it. And Lord, I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.